yeah, it's one of the biggest compliments I think I can have, you know, that I just, my, my goal is to take care of people. I'll never leave them homeless. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Cody Rowland of Success Real Estate. Cody is a real estate professional in the South Shore of Boston area in Massachusetts. Hey, Cody, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. How did you get involved in real estate, Cody? I grew up in a real estate family. My, my mother was a um, real estate broker for 45 years before she retired, and my father was an auctioneer, so I was always um, involved with real estate and things in the home and oil-filled equipment that, that went to, to mostly real, all things real estate, really, is, is my whole family. It's what I grew up in, and so I went to college, um, got a degree in economics, got a corporate job and decided it was horrible and I hated it. And even though I had told my mother my whole time growing up, I would never sell real estate because it was a stupid job and I was never going to do it. When I, when I realized that, yeah, I got sick of sitting behind the desk, I called her up and said, I'm going to get my um, real estate license. And she laughed and laughed. And then that was about it. So that's how I was introduced through just the family business really. And and then when, um, so I went to school at Texas Tech University, met my husband there. Um, we, I never got my license in, Mass, in Texas because we, we moved actually to Las Vegas before I really realized that I wanted to get my license. So I started selling real estate out there. And <clears throat> Chris was in a pretty bad car accident, my husband, um, on 02, I think it was. And so my mom and my grandmother actually moved out to Las Vegas to help me with the kids and his recovery. And, and, um, so she and I partnered, we became a team out in Las Vegas real estate team. And so we sold together out there for quite some time before he got better and then got recruited to go to New York city. And so he and I left Las Vegas with the kids and left my mom there all alone. So she stayed for a few more years, sold, sold, you know, continued the, the business there. And then she ended up shutting it down there and going back to Texas and starting back up with her old business there. I went to New York with Chris. We didn't stay long. We ended up in Massachusetts and that's where I uh, got my license here and been here ever since. That's Selling for about 16 years. So as a, as a teenager, you're growing up saying, I'm not doing what my mom does. This is yet. stupid. She's on the phone all the time. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> but yet you realize that she had a pretty cool balance of life. Yeah. Yeah, it did. But I was back with the pagers, right? So my brother and I would have a fight and and we would page my mom and to have her call us right but she of course doesn't know what the problem it's not like now you could read the text or whatever she would have to go find a phone to call home to find out what the problem was because we'd page her like all constantly like page her page you know like she's like there's some sort of emergency so she'd rush around find a phone just to call home for us to tell her we were fighting about something <laughs> That's terrible. i know it was fine but but I, you know what i did i liked I didn't realize I didn't realize until I got into the corporate world how awesome this job actually is. I mean, it's such it's such a great job. You know, not only 
I mean, people think it's a great job. It's flexible. You can make your own hours, which is all a bunch of bull. You can't. You you work you work when you have to work. You work when other people are not working. You work weekends. You work evenings. You work all of those other times. But but it's it, the sky's the limit. You can make as much money as you want. You can work as little or as much as you want to. You it, for me, it fulfilled a desire to help other people. Um, it's. It's just been a good fit for me. It's it uses my brain. No, no two days are the same. It's a nice, it's a nice career. It's a nice career. I love it. I love every bit of it. I love it. And and usually people are successful when they love what they do. So yeah. eating, sleeping, dinner conversations, growing up. Yeah. You must be, the, <laughs> you must be a wizard. Uh, well, I I'd like to think so. <laughs> I feel like I feel like there's there's rarely a real estate question that I don't know the answer to. <laughs> it's very very rare, and, and it's funny the the conversations we had growing up. I'm sure go similarly to the dinner conversations now at my house, where my two kids are constantly like, "Can we stop talking about real estate?" Because the hardest part now is my mom has relocated to Massachusetts. She's gotten her license, and she. She retired, but she's like, you know what? I'm going to get my license and help you. So she's my assistant. My husband runs a real estate, um, real producers magazine. So he's involved with real estate. I'm selling real estate. Oh, we're all doing real estate. And my poor kids are like, we're so sick of hearing about real estate. <laughs> Mark my words, one of these days, one of them will probably get their license. <laughs> I'm guessing because they see your, they see their mom <clears throat> smiling all the time. I mean, there's something, how do I find that? Like, how do I pursue happiness right ultimately right. what we're all trying to do and look right. at mom. why not do what mom's doing you know what and i do I, I love this job and it's hard sometimes and it's frustrating sometimes but most of the time it's lovely and and the one of the best parts of my job honestly um most of my business at this point comes by referral most of my past clients refer their friends and family and the good news is is i always have fa i have fabulous clients and nice clients refer more nice clients. So it's rare I have to work with a jerk, which is really nice. I don't have to do the general public jerky people most of the time. <laughs> yeah, there's, which is the, nice. there's the wild cards out there, but it's nice that like minds attract, right? So you end That's up right. finding, finding that community similar in persona and attitude. Yeah. Tell us a little bit how the industry has changed since your mom was doing it till today. Well, other than the pagers <laughs> and the fact that every all the real estate listings were in a book and you would get your book every week and you would see all the new houses that had come in and, and you had complete control, which was nice. And in some ways, you would call your clients and tell them the new listings that had come on the market and they were sort of reliant on you. The industry is vastly different now. The information is out there for anybody to, to pursue. So it's changed it's changed for us instead of being the, the gatekeeper to the product, like my mom was back in the day. Now we are, we are more like the wise advisors on how to maneuver all of this deluge of information, what's appropriate in this state, what's legal in this state, how it compares to other states, maybe, you know, it's, it's more, it's more about hiring an attorney or hiring, you know, a, a doctor or a general practitioner to help you through this process. It's not, anybody can sell a house. I mean, you could put a sign, especially in this market, you could put a sign in your yard, 
put a for sale by owner thing, you know, number out there and you have no, you, you can get a buyer. You can get a buyer, but do you know if it's the right buyer? Do you know if you're really getting market value for your property? You know, the way to get market, the way to get the most money for the property is to put it in front of every ready, willing, and able buyer. And if every ready, willing, and able buyer in the whole market knows that your property is available for sale, that's how you get market value for your property. When I was out in Las Vegas, um, we were going through the bubble, right? And people were fighting for houses like they're fighting for it now. And I got this frantic phone call from this man who his neighbor, I guess, had told him to call me, <clears throat> but he had a buyer sitting in his house that refused to leave because he was sitting there. I will give you full asking. I will give you full asking price for your house. Sign. I want you to sign my offer right now. And he panicked because he, did, he didn't know what to do. He was a little for sale by owner. So he called and he's like, hi, um, there's this guy, won't leave my house. Can you come help me? So I drove over there and I walked in and you know, the, I don't know what, well, the guy was just trying to get the guy, my seller, what ultimately became my seller to sell him the house. It was trying to steal it from him because his asking price was so much lower than the market value, but he had no idea. He had no idea. So we were able to chase him out of the house. <laughs> and then we sat down and had a conversation about really how this process needs to work. And he ended up making $50,000, $60,000 more than what he would have if he'd assigned that guy's offer. So it was, and that was in Las Vegas. And property values here are so much more. But um, I digressed. I'm sorry. And after commission, right? Like, that's <laughs> yeah, one thing. after commission. Yes. And, that's, and that's the one thing I've noticed different in this melt up than the last one is, in 04, 05, there was a glutton of um, for sale by owners. And it seems as though the message has really gotten out there. Like that doesn't work in this market. Like no. you're not going to be able to do this without a professional. So no. suck it up, buttercup. And like, let's work with a professional because they're still going to get you more, even if you focus on that commission, they're still getting Correct. way more. And and you will, you will, I just left a, a client's house just now. And, and she was, you know, basically telling me you're worth your weight in gold. I mean, I've saved her so much money. We had to put in a new septic system. You know, I have the contacts for her and who, who to contact. We knew which buyer to pick based on not necessarily giving her the most money for her house, but what's their down payment? Who's they're going to, who's handling their financing? Are they going to, what happens if the house doesn't appraise? Who's going to make up the difference that way? Or can they make up, you know, there's so many nuances to the offers that just putting a sign in your yard isn't always the best plan. Speaking of, the, um, you know, <laughs> picking the best offers in this market, again, super scarce inventory, June, 2021. What are you seeing from lenders that are helping the buyers with the deals? What are they doing creatively that's helping, helping their buyers? So, so the better lenders, and if the buyers understand this, will actually take the buyer completely through the underwriting process. So they're not sending, they're not submitting a pre-approval with their offer. They're submitting a, an approved loan package. They just need an address and an appraisal. And that's all they need. They're completely underwritten. So you don't have, there, there's less stress for a seller waiting to see if these people that are buying their house can qualify for their loan. It's already done. It's already done. That's one of the best tools that you can use right now on that. So like a pre-underwriting pre-approval. 
completely under it's not really a pre-approval it's an approval subject to the address and the appraisal and title and title yeah right sorry <laughs> yes and <clears throat> and so that way you're you're competing with cash right so now it becomes a fair competition with cash correct it, it, yes a much much tighter competition with cash right are any lenders doing anything else over and above that are that's caught your attention even if they didn't win the bid but you're like wow that was that was pretty interesting that they did that um i mean the good ones will follow up and call they'll call you and introduce themselves and go ahead and tell you all about the buyers and what you know what's going on but really um i mean the approval bit is is probably the most powerful thing a good lender will do just to make sure that you're ready to rock and roll I can't think of anything else. And it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear in the writing. Like this is a, this is more than a brief. For sure. Oh yeah. It's, it's very clear. And usually they've called you and told you all about it as well, just to make sure that you understand that this is not a pre-approval. So, which is nice. That's interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about a few years ago. We met in the downside of the market. Do you see any similarities? Um. I hope there's no similarities. No, um, there's no, there's only, there's similarities with, with the, the competition of, you know, when the bubble, the bubble was building in 05, 06, 07, you know, all that earlier. Um, there's similarities that way with us scrambling around with offers and trying to, um, you know, beat everybody else out. But I do not see similarities with the lending aspect of it. So, I don't think we're, we have a, a bubble building, at least as far as a lending aspect is concerned. People who are buying houses are well-qualified. They've got lots of money. It's not like back, back when the bubble was building and you, you, didn't even, you, didn't need any, you didn't even need a job and you could get a mortgage. So. There's still time. Still time for what? The bubble to build? I think history, history tends to repeat itself. And that is... You say 05, 06, 07. I'm saying we're feeling more like 03 and we're starting to see these new right. these new loan programs coming out. FHA is loosening up this. They're not recognizing uh, student loans as a strong uh, weight as they have in the past. So these folks with 200,000 in student loans can now get a mortgage on top of those 200,000 in loans that they were already struggling to pay. Let's add on, let's make everybody a homeowner. Do you remember that? I, well, I do, I do, but, and maybe you're right. We're in the early stages and I'm not saying there can't be some sort of a bubble, but it, I don't know that all I can tell you is from boots on the ground. I mean, you're seeing it too. I just got 15 offers on an at, on a listing I put on this past weekend. We just went over them this morning and probably a third of them are putting 50% down in cash. So it's not like they can't, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like they're qualifying for a mortgage they can't afford. Right. So again, folks, we're talking about June, middle of June, 2021. We're talking about a scarce real estate market here on the South shore of Boston. And how do we, how do we, how do we fix this? How do we fix this unhealthy market where there's so few homes with so many buyers? I don't know. I, honestly, don't. I mean, my. I love. I love the authenticity of you. <laughs> that's that's what uh, brought me to you so many years ago when you first made it here from Las Vegas. Was 
the true authenticity, the genuineness of it. It's like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to try to make up some story that, you know, may work or not. And no one will ever look back and, and call me on it. Like, I don't know. I think, I, I don't know. But I think the only thing, at least at this point in time, I think the only thing that might slow the market down to some degree is just raising the interest rates some. I mean, that would be the only way to really pump the brakes. Although people are self-selecting now too, though. So I, I should back up to say, you know, at the beginning of the season, I started with 12 buyers and now I've gotten maybe three or four under contract just with the competition. My sellers are doing great, but my low buyers, if they don't have a ton of cash and, you know, willing to waive appraisal contingencies and waive inspections and they just can't, they can't, they either can't get a house or they now most of those people have bowed out now. They're, they're just going to wait it out and see what happens. Maybe that's a bad choice. Maybe that's, I wish I had a crystal ball. I don't know. I'm, well, it certainly balances out the supply and demand, right? If some of the demand goes away, right? How do we get more supply? I, you know, are the banks going to start putting products out there now? Well, where are they going to put them? We don't have a lot of land, not in our area. No, no. I mean the banks with the folks that are in distress, because unfortunately, oh. it's a conversation that, you know, we're having <clears throat> internally with our, you know, real estate school and stuff like that. But not a lot of people are having the conversation about what about that person who went into COVID behind and, I, and the foreclosure moratoriums? Yeah. Do you think the banks are going to be forgiving coming out of this i'm already seeing them not at all well you see a different side than i do to some degree yeah. but i but my thought is with the way the with the way the market has increased some of those people it doesn't matter it's not like they're going to lose their house they're not upside down most of them probably unless, not unless they get foreclosed on well, but how many buyers or how many sellers are going to allow their house to go into foreclosure if they can sell it and still and get out of it, at least breaking even? How do you find them? Well, that's the question. I think that's yeah. the ultimate question right now in the middle of June 2021. <clears throat> how do we get to them fast enough so that the bank doesn't beat them to the auction because the banks are coming fast and furiously? You're, so you're talking about they're trying to foreclose before the buyer can sell? or they're not asking oh, excuse me the seller can sell the owner can sell yeah or they're not asking permission right they're just coming really aggressively we've already seen a few and this is pre uh moratorium being over uh if you look in the papers for july you know they're mm -hmm. heat up and there's still those same people that we saw in 08 9 and 10 with their head in the sand hoping that it won't happen and the banks yeah, and that's true you and I know, I mean, from back when we did all those short sales all those years ago, um, people do tend to bury their heads in the sand and they, and they may be unaware of what their house is actually worth. You know, they just assume that they're in trouble and they may not be as, I mean, they may still need to sell and move, but they may not be in as much trouble as they think they are. So how do we as real estate professionals get the message out to them that there is a, a better, safer, softer landing? Well, I guess the same way, I mean, social media and advertising and word of mouth. And I mean, there's no doubt that the general public knows that their houses are worth more than they ever anticipated at this point in time. I, I think you really have to have your head in the sand not to know that. But um, 
but the softer landing bit, you know, even if I do have one short sale right now I'm working on shockingly, but um, there are, you know, I, I think it's just, if you wanted to pursue those, you just have to, you can start targeting the, the I, I assume the tax records, the, I don't know. How, how are there any lists out there that you can I pursue? I, I think it's a matter of really everyone attacking their database because they're everywhere, right? People are struggling everywhere. There's a certain tier, certain industry, certain that is true. spaces that aren't coming back that, <clears throat> um, you know, anybody, what Spiros always talks about, he's, he's a frequent guest on the real estate school is, um, you know, oftentimes the people who are in quote distress, they'll call the sign that says we buy ugly houses before they'll Correct. call Cody because they're embarrassed, right? Right. Right. So how do we get and to that's that? true? And that's well, that's it. But the, the thing is, is I don't know that a lot of the agents who are working pretty hard right now um, don't have the bandwidth to chase people who are in distress. I, I mean, you know, I, I at least have a lot of experience with that, but I, I'm not I'm not targeting my database on anything like that right now which is probably a, maybe a bad move. Maybe I should start doing that. Thanks well, for the if idea. <laughs> if, you're, if you're trying to create inventory, right? Um, yeah. You know, finding those people sooner than later is, is certainly a way to create inventory. But you know what, Mark, part of the problem with that is too, is yeah, you could target those people and, and talk about selling their houses. But for me, I worry about the back end. So where are these people going to go? Right. Can they afford rent? where there's nothing to buy, especially if they're already distressed over here, they're certainly not going to be able to buy over here. Are they going to go pay rents that are $3,200 a month or 5,000, you know, it's a bad situation. It's a very bad situation. And they need to have those conversations because the reality is that things like that typically don't get better. And, you know, unemployment's going to stop, you know, and the bank is going to come. And I don't want to go into the negative, but um, I got my introduction to Cody really in in the down market, right? I mean, when did you all first come from Vegas and land in in Marshfield? I think it was 2006. Okay. And when did you find your way to success real estate? And so I, it's funny, I found my way to success because I I had growing up in a real estate family in Texas, was never licensed there, but my mother was a broker for 45 years. Um, now she's my assistant here, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> so, so she knows more than I'll ever know. But um, then I, we went, my husband and I had relocated to Las Vegas from Texas after school, and he started a magazine out there. And anyway, so I sold out there for several years during the bubble. Right. So sold when you, we were writing offers on top of cars and running in and we actually presented the buyer's agent presented in person to the seller, your buyer's offer, which I loved. Yeah. Loved. It was really cool. So Vegas, Vegas was going wild then too. Vegas right? was, it was, what's well, a 24 seven town anyway. So real estate was 24 seven too. Well, there yeah. was a, there was a bubble, but then there was the Vegas and Phoenix bubbles that were in the yes. five to 08. Right. Yes. 07. It was, it was, it was crazy. So, so yeah, I rode that bubble out and then we left in Chris is much better with the dates than I am, but we, we left and went to New York. We were in New York for about 18 months. I never got licensed there because I had zero desire to stay. <laughs> anywhere near Manhattan 
And um, so then we ended up in Boston and, and we landed here. And I ended up at success because I knew I was going to get my license in Massachusetts. And we were going to stay here for a while. So I went and interviewed. I live in Marshfield. So I drove past the success Marshfield office daily going to interview at William Ravis and Jack Conway and Remax and all these other brokerages. And I just couldn't find the same deal that I had with Prudential at the time back in Las Vegas. I mean, I was pretty much, I was in a very high split and none of these people, none of the brokerages here were offering it. So one day I just popped into success and met Todd Webster and, and he saw my, I gave, brought him on my production from Las Vegas and he goes, I'll start you at 90. <laughs> It works for me. So that's, that's where, and I've just, I've been with them now for, I think 16 years. Wow. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a good, it's been a good um, fit for me. So why do you like this space so much? Real estate Yeah. or, or success. Real, estate. Um, real I, I love working for myself. I love being an entrepreneur. I could not, after college, I, I had a desk job for a while worked for a uh, recruitment advertising agency. And then uh, I was the corporate advert. I was the corporate sales director for a um, pretty large um, travel agency. So back, back when you would, the corporate people would call up to book their planes before the internet took over. Cause I'm old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I love this space because I, my day is different every single day. I do not do the same thing every single day. It's a bit chaotic and crazy at times. And I work sometimes seven days a week for long stretches of time, but it's my business. I run it the way I want. I take care of people the way I want. I spend my money the way I want. I advertise the way I want and nobody tells me how to do it. My, I'm, I'm beholding only to my clients. So let's talk about your clients for a second. Sure. If your client, and I hope they do, were to write a raving review after a transaction, what is that what is that testimonial on Google, Facebook, social, whatever? What does that say? Cody it's, was. I actually have quite a few of them that basically say, I thought I was her only client. Awesome. <laughs> which, which is, which is very, a very nice compliment. Very difficult to do sometimes when you have 10 or 12, but you know, one time, but um, that's, that's the, um, yeah, it's one of the biggest compliments I think I can have, you know, that I just, my, my goal is to take care of people. I'll I, never leave them homeless. I thought I was her only client. That is so great. That yeah. is so great. <laughs> so let me ask you this. So, so when yes. that client is now two years out and they're at the water cooler and, you know, people are talking about it or your friends or your referral partners or your sphere of influence, how are they introducing you as the person that they should be working with? Well, I don't know for sure what they're saying, but I, but I do know when I get the phone call from one of the referral people, they're usually like, you helped my friend so-and-so and they were just raving about you and how well, you know. I, so I, whatever it is, it sounds like it's a nice thing that they're saying. So or if they're not saying nice things, I never get the call. So I don't right, know. right, right. But if you were to help script them to say, okay, this is how I want you to introduce me so that it tees me up to basically close them for lack of a better term, right? So to engage right. them as a client, here's, right. what, here's what I want you to say. What would that be? So I, mostly I would just like for them to convey 
to the to the um, their friend that you know they were a referring an agent with a wealth of knowledge, the ins and outs of of every aspect of a real estate transaction. I, I feel like I have a better understanding of the whole process and how it all relates to everything else within the sphere of buying or selling a home. I'm more than the average agent as far as it's, let me, it's hard to explain. Like I'm really good at seeing the rocks and how to avoid the rocks and how people's um, attitudes and behaviors are probably going to um, manifest within the transaction. Like what, what, this is probably what's coming down the pipe and this is how we should probably address it. Certainly up to my seller, my buyer, my client, how they want to handle it. I, one of the things I always tell my, my clients is I am the pilot. You are the captain of the ship. I'm the pilot. My job is to point out the rocks, tell you the best way to, to go, but you're ultimately going to make the decision. So however it is you want to handle it, we'll, we will work around it. But my job is to, to advise you with my experience and all the knowledge that I have, and, and hopefully you'll make the right path. And then the other thing I tell my clients all the time, too, is um, I will never leave you homeless, which is a huge fear for a lot of people. It is a huge fear, especially now, because like you were saying, like <clears throat> we need more inventory, but where are they going to go? Right. So you have to protect them on the back end. You have to make sure that they're not obligated to sell their house if they're not ready to sell their house, even though we're going to put a buyer in place to make sure that they're ready to go if they find, are in as good of a position as they can be to purchase another property without ending up homeless, unless they choose to be. And they can choose to be. <laughs> they can choose to be. Are you seeing people going in certain directions when they leave? Like right now? Yeah, like where are I people mean, moving to? Most, most most of them, if they're, they're, well, they're either leaving the state, they're moving in with family. Some are choosing to go to an apartment to ride this out. They're trying to cash out, ride it out over here and buy something later. You know, it's, it's if the, the market can't go like this forever. So then it's just a matter of how long will you have to be in that rental scenario? You know, is it going to eat up your profit? You know, so that's really the <clears throat> question there. But um most people who are selling pretty successfully have somewhere to go. They have a vacation home they're moving into. They're, you know, leaving the state, you know, they have the condo in Florida or the ski house in Vermont or wherever. And, and they they're cashing ride. out of them and they can ride it out. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. It, it, it is interesting to talk about the, you know, if you're paying $3,000 a month in rent, you know, very quickly, you know, $36,000 is gone. Right. I mean, right. I, granted, you're going to have to spend money for housing somewhere, somehow. But, you know, there is a there is a mathematical equation to that. And timing the market is very challenging. It's well, I mean, if we had crystal balls, we would not be doing this. No. <laughs> so, so that's the that's the challenge. Uh, yeah, it, it's hard because I sit with sellers sometimes and they're deciding, you know, do do we just sell and go into an apartment? Do we? You know, and when I was having this conversation with some of my clients 18 months ago, and, you know, and I would tell them, I have, I have no idea what the market's going to do. I mean, you have to decide it could, it could continue to go up. It won't go up forever. It can't do this forever, but what's going to change. And then, and then let's say it is an increase in the interest rates. that's going to put the brakes on stuff. Well, then you've sold your house here. Now you're renting here, but your buying power, if you're, if you still need a mortgage anyway, your buying power is lower just due to that. 
So, eh, it's That's a challenge. Interest rate, the interest rates are so low. Like, what is it really going to matter at the end of the day if you're, but it, it is, it's real money, right? It's real money. If it's, it depends on, now. depends on what generation you're with. If yeah. you're our age, you're like, yeah, what's 4%? What's 5%? If you're a 26 year old, they're going to have heart attacks. <laughs> right. right. That's, that's get over it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's amazing. And there's so many other factors at play. Like, there are. Uh, post COVID, I've been saying, you know, people are going to live where they want to be, not where they need to be. So there's certain towns and right. regions that are going to be bulletproof. But I do fear these tertiary neighborhoods with first line type employees that maybe software has, you know, eliminated their job. Right. There's going to be some casualties in certain certain markets. And unfortunately, a bigger gap between the haves and the haves nots but that's a whole nother another show whole another discussion it is. I, I mean it's true i'm on the housing partnership in marshfield and we're tasked with trying to find ways to make housing more affordable for people in town you know we don't want people you know young people who are now they've just finished school and they're going to be a teacher but they can't afford to live in the town they're going to teach in, or they, or they're going to be a fireman or a police officer or whatever. And, and they can't, they can't afford to buy a house in that town that they grew up in or maybe working in that they'd like to stay. It's, it's, it's a problem. So we don't have a lot of land, so we can't, we can't, you know, unless we go up or change some zoning or do something that allows, you know, and then that's never a, a never a popular thing to do either. No, but so, loosening loosening loan guidelines is an option. That is true. Or maybe allowing accessory apartments or in-laws. Yeah. Along those lines would be helpful for people who, like myself, my mother moved in, you know, have her own space would be lovely. Yeah, I'm a big fan of um, accessory dwellings, age in place. I love the concept of mixed use, which people are still struggling with, you know, to share yeah. the concept between commercial and residential. Well, they, like, like the, um, over by, um, proprietor screen, the, in, in Marshfield over off of next to Roche brothers, they've got yeah. the businesses on the bottom, con- beautiful condos on the top. Those I think we're selling very well. I think that's a future, um, asset class. That's going to be very successful because it, it's, Many people are winning in that scenario, right? The, the the businesses, the the people, the developers, the town, right? The town's getting more tax revenue out of it. So I agree. Hopefully the towns won't snob those away as they've been doing in the past. But um, so one of the questions we always ask at our... Oh, no. <laughs> During our conversations is karaoke. Tell me what type of karaoke singer you are first. And the type of, uh, go ahead, am I what? So Dr. Joe, you know how we have the Dr. Joe show. We've we've actually studied the psychology of karaoke. Like I'm fascinated by this this art. And there there are three types of people. There are, uh, I'm a soloist, get off my stage. I've got it. Okay. There's the folks that will do it, but they need a crowd around them to kind of hedge the insecurities of it all. Okay. And then there's the, I would rather have root canal without anesthesia people. There's only three. Where do you fall? Where do you think I fall? 
I would I would say somewhere between uh, get off my stage and I'll have a partner help sing with me. Oh, you're very generous. I I, I for karaoke, I would be in the back of the crowd or you will not get me up on the stage. I I cannot carry a tune. So what? I, I know. Okay, if I have maybe, well, for me, I'm a lightweight. Maybe three beers. Okay, maybe, maybe. What, what if the whole crowd is like in it, supporting each other, cheering, singing? That's along. what I'm saying. I I would get up with the crowd, probably toward the back, singing. Any other place, man? I'll get up. I'll get up on the stage. I'll talk. I'll whatever. But it's amazing. Singing, I just can't do it. I just it stresses me out. It is amazing uh, what karaoke does for people because, um, you know, like you, you, you put yourself out there, you're out there, you're vibrant, friendly, you know, not afraid of anything. I mean, you're from Texas, you know, you're not afraid of stuff yet. The thought of standing there with a microphone and a crowd looking at you will paralyze you. Well, I would absolutely do it if I could carry a tune, but I can't carry a tune. So what if you're up there alone? But the whole crowd is like ready to sing along with you. The crowd down in. Okay, I, so, okay, yes, I could do that, but I wouldn't sing into a microphone. Well, I might pretend for a minute and then I would pull it way down here so nobody could put hear it me. out there for that. <laughs> yeah, yes. But what song would that be? I have that. I, you know what? I know you were going to ask me what song I have. That's the other thing. I am, I am musically challenged in many ways, and one of which is I don't. I know the songs that they come on the radio and I like sing along. I, I don't pay that close. I shouldn't even admit this. I mean, Chris gets disgusted with me because he knows every song, every whatever. But I, I just, yeah, not my. I asked him on his interview on a scale of one to 10, how important is music in your life? What do you think is that for us? Oh, probably like 10, nine. <laughs> it was 10. It was yeah. 10. And it's funny that it's not that important to you. It's not, it's the beauty well, of But me. see, it, work, it works because. I don't care. Right. So he can listen to whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And I just do my thing. <laughs> I just do my thing. All right. The gun is put to your head now. What are you going to okay. say? Well, that's my, uh, um, I don't even know Mark. Cause I don't even know the names of the songs. Come on. That's so bad. I know you knew, you knew the chorus for oh, I Okay. How about I could sing Sir Mix-a-Lot. You could. I could sing Sir Mix-a-Lot. Um, not baby got back. I don't know all those words, but I could do my posse's on Broadway. How's that? The whole song. I can do almost the whole song. Yeah, I probably could do the whole song. And with if the they put the words in front of you, you definitely yeah, that'd be even easier. Yeah, I could totally do it. Then that's what you'll say. See, I don't really have to sing. It's more of a rap. See, I'm okay but with that. But it's the same. There's an art. That's true. Okay, next time we go to karaoke, I will do that. Promise. Yes. All right. Cool. Um, the most important question of them all. Yes folks that want to get in touch with you and do some business with you how do they get in touch with you um so i answer smoke signals and <laughs> no phone calls um anything so my um email is um cody at cody and it's r-o-h-l-a-n-d so that's the last name and then or my phone number 617-378-2965 and folks, those will be linked down below in the show notes, as always. Cody, it was such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank, Thank you, for Mark. The show. I appreciate it. Thank you for, for instigating and hosting and helping all of us. Oh, that's sweet. We'll talk okay. to you soon. 
Okay. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Securitidal. Securitidal helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Securitidal, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.